Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right, so uh, as Aaron said, this is the wild card sermon, which means you guys chose this. So really the question that I have for you is like, why are you beefing? Like, what's going on in your life? Like, I just need to know. You know, we did like this thing. It was kind of weird. I don't think churches have done it before that I've seen at least where we said, hey, let's have a wild card sermon. Let's just ask, does Proverbs say anything about X, Y, and Z? And you guys immediately were like, conflict. I'm fighting with somebody. I'm a little bit scared, actually. I think I'm going to get up here and say like, hey, sometimes conflict is good and you should engage in it. And like three people instantly are going to be like, good, I had something to say to you, punk, right? Like right after the gathering. Anyway, uh, conflict is simply a part of life. It's going to happen. I'm sorry about that for those of you who are conflict avoidant. Um, The interesting thing about even talking about this and looking at like the book of Proverbs and asking what it says is because it's interesting because you guys all know something about conflict, right? Like maybe from your workplace or like, you know, you know, like any sort of training or if you were an RA in college, like remember half our training was like on conflict resolution, right? So you know all the tactics, you know the different styles. You could be, are you an avoidant? Are you a compromiser kind of guy? Something like that. And so I'm not going to like really, really hit on that kind of stuff too, too much because you can find that somewhere else. You guys have Google, right? Or you probably have like, you know, workplace training, stuff like that. But what I do want to talk about is this idea that I think is present in Proverbs that is simply that conflict is not always an unhealthy thing. Sometimes it's actually good. Sometimes it's actually natural. When Sarah and I do marriage counseling with a couple, we ask, like, what was the last conflict that you had? And if they say, oh, we never fight, then we say, oh, this is going to be bad, right? Like, this is, like, bad news. That is, like, a red flag. For those of you guys who are looking for someone to to be with, if you never fight after dating for a long time, that means somebody is just eating a whole lot, right? Somebody's burying everything, uh, swallowing it. Um, a lot of us are just avoiding conflict as much as we possibly can as if it is a bad thing. I hate calling out specific generations, but this is especially true for you Gen Zers out there. You know it's true, right? Like, even in sermon meeting when we were talking about conflict, everybody was kind of like the Gen Zers in the room. We're like, I don't know about this. Like, whenever two of my friends disagree about which burger restaurant is better, I wet my pants and don't speak for two hours. Like, it's just, it's really weird. I don't know what Gen Z calls conflict, maybe Charles or Spatula or something, like with the weird Gen Z speak, but they're like, I am Charles avoidant, all right? Like, I just don't get into that. That is not me. But reality is that you can't go through life without conflict. In fact, uh, if you look at literature, all literature is based off of conflict. Conflict is crucial to story development. You cannot have a story without having a conflict. You've never read a book, you've never seen a movie that doesn't have some sort of conflict, even if it's just internal conflict. Toy Story 1 is a conflict of Buzz versus Woody. Toy Story 2 is Buzz and Woody versus the Chicken Soup Man. Toy Story 3 is all the characters in the movie versus the crushing ravages of time and the double-edged sword of maturity that gives while it takes away, right? I know some of you are tearing up just thinking about it right now. We haven't watched Toy Story 3 in a long time, but there's conflict even in that, right? Conflict is everywhere. It is around us all of the time. And so the question that we have to ask, if conflict is normal, unavoidable, sometimes even healthy, what does Proverbs define as healthy and unhealthy conflict? So I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you. Write this down. Rebuke is healthy. Meddling is not. 
Rebuke is healthy. Meddling is not. Now, I know I just used a word that is most closely associated with Scooby-Doo, uh, and some of you guys are already, right? It was always meddling kids. That's what the, the guy at the end always said. But these are the two types of ways to enter into conflict that we see very present in the book of Proverbs. So talking about conflict directly or conflict resolution is not really in Proverbs. But these two things are like pathways into which you could lead into conflict. Okay, so rebuke is the healthy way. Meddling is not. So let's look at meddling first. Aaron just read this text, 26, uh, 17 through 23. As I'm reading it again, uh, what's going to be natural to you? If you're looking at each of these lines, each of these little segments, you're probably going to be saying, like, man, I know that guy. Please don't look at anyone else in the room, all right, whenever this happens. Uh, do not just glance over at your neighbor and be like, mm-hmm, quarrelsome much, right? Uh, but instead, I want you to think about the ways in which you might have done this yourself. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. This is not a very modern, relevant kind of idea. I've never done this. I've never been sort of like had that impulse. But it seems dangerous, right? I also don't think their dogs were as well trained as ours are today. Next, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I've probably played that game before, right? For a lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to a fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of the body. And like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Do you get a good picture there of what meddling is? It's sort of like stirring stuff up, getting in the middle of things, sticking your nose in other people's business. Sort of like throwing out something rude or chaotic, then playing it off like it was a joke. It's whispering and spreading gossip so that the conflict catches flame around you. It's the type of whispering that sounds good, maybe even tastes good, but to hear it spoils within you. And it's a fake and false, a fleeting sense of joy that you get. This type of life only breeds conflict. So the question that you have to ask in your life is, is this me? Am I someone who sometimes meddles? So maybe the first question that you want to ask in that is, like, do I have a lot of conflict in my life? Am I constantly sort of like stressed out by the conflict that happens? Because the question that I'm going to invite you to ask yourself today, which I feel like doesn't get talked about very often in conflict, is like, are you actually bringing some of this unnecessary and unhealthy conflict on yourself. Are you actually a meddler? And I think if you have any like self-awareness, then you might see little glimpses or little temptations that you have towards some of this. It's easy to poke fun at like the conflict averse among us, you know, and just sort of like laugh it off. We all maybe feel that impulse to some degree or another, but it's hard to turn that magnifying lens on ourselves. Do you find yourself talking to this person about this person and about this person? Do you find yourself in the middle of other people's business sometimes? Do you find it hard not to pass on the information that you know? Do you ever find yourself triangulating and pitting two different people against each other? This is something that's hard to admit about yourself, honestly. But if we're able to actually like look at ourselves and ask ourselves this question, I believe that we can actually change and shape our lives to have less of this unhealthy conflict. So here are some ways to stop meddling, okay? Uh, first is quick, tr 
quit trying your harebrained schemes to take and take off the clown mask. I messed that up completely. That was a Scooby-Doo joke. Anyway, that one's not in there. Okay, here we go. That was funny. Listen more than you talk. That's a real one, okay? Listen more than you talk. And listening, uh, not talking, you actually help your friend out. So imagine this situation where your friend is sort of like experiencing something. The meddling thing to do would be to talk a lot and just be like, well, here's what I think you should do, and what about this guy, and how about this guy? But instead, listening more than you talk can actually withhold that sort of desire and impulse to meddle in someone else's business. This is something that has helped me out a lot. Um, I find, just in my uh, particularly strange job, that I end up knowing a lot of things about a lot of different people, and then I'll talk to somebody else, and I'll go, oh my goodness, I know something about this other thing, all right? Like, they're mentioning this other situation, I'm like, I know something about that, and I always tell everyone's secrets all the time, so I'm just kidding, I don't do that, right? Like, I've found that actually, like, it's easy to keep someone else's secret when you need to, right? Like, it's a part of your job, like, I really do respect confidentiality that someone would tell me something and trust enough. I realize I'm losing that trust in talking about it right now. I can feel it in the room. No one's ever going to tell me anything again. But what I'm saying is in those moments, what I've had to do, what I've like learned to do is actually just sit back and not say what it is that I know, even though you know, there's this impulse to like contribute to the conversation. And I found in doing the, that that it actually like reduces a lot of struggles and stress. Like, if you're able to just sort of, like, sit back and be like, man, I know something about this other person that you're talking about, but I'm not going to, like, stir the pot anymore. I'm not going to throw my two cents in just to be talking. Listen more than you talk. Next, only talk to the person in front of you. There's a real temptation to talk about the people that your friend is talking about. All right, so imagine this situation again. When somebody else brings something to you, there's a real temptation for the meddler. That was all this stuff about like the person who's a whisperer, right? Uh, it's easy to talk about the person that's not there, that's not face to face. Have you guys ever noticed this in like a breakup kind of thing? Like if your friend ever comes to you and says, hey, I broke up with this other person, like you then have to speak about that other person, right? And you're kind of like, uh, there's kind of a few different ways that you can do this. Guys, our typical thing is like, yeah, she crazy, right? Like, that's all we really say. That's all that needs to be said. Then we get back to, like, you know, sitting side by side and pretending we hadn't come very close to a, like, meaningful conversation, right? Uh, that's what we're trying to do. We stare at the fire some more, you know? Uh, ladies, there's a whole spectrum here. This is, I'm realizing now, one of the more sexist kind of, like, rants I've ever gone on, but we're in it now. So uh, from one end, you'll find somebody that's like, oh, man, you'll find somebody. Here's some ice cream. And on the other end of the spectrum is that friend that is like, we should murder him, right? Like, our only job right now, how do we kill him, right? That's not good, is that? Like, that doesn't help anybody, I don't think. And yet, you guys all have been there. You know that type of person. It's a weird thing, right? There is actually cultural pressure right now to, like, be that type of friend. You're a champion. You're an ally. You're standing up for your buddy. That doesn't help anybody, that doesn't actually help, like, resolve conflict. No, to avoid meddling, what you need to do is only talk about the person in front of you. It does no good to say, well, this is what this other person needs to do. This is how they need to be better. This is how they're wrong. What if you actually look the person that you're talking to face to face, you look them in the eye, and you were able to talk about what they did right and what they did wrong. You were able to encourage them and point out ways that you saw them succeeding. You were able to be a good enough friend to actually say, hey, uh, here's where you might be a little bit of fault in this situation. Finally, talk to the person directly. 
It does no good to talk around a conflict. When you're talking to this person and that person about it, all you do is you create this little web around the conflict, but you don't actually resolve it. You should always take conflict directly to the person that you're having it with as quickly as possible. Or as Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying something really, really important here. He's saying that having some sort of unsettled conflict, having something unresolved between you and another human being, can actually stop you from worshiping God correctly. So if you want to be closer to Jesus, be reconciled with your brother. This can only come from approaching the situation, approaching the person, naming the issue, and working together to resolve it. And when this is done correctly, this is called rebuke. Rebuke, as I'm defining it today, is to express a strong warning to someone about their actions. It's to call someone out. It's to let them know of something that you see in them that is going to cause them harm. Now, you may call that thing that you see in them, you may call that sin, and that would actually be an appropriate thing to call it. You may see that in their lives and say, hey, this is something that is unhealthy. It's against God. It's not good for you. It's against God's good plan for you and for the other people in this situation. And to rebuke someone is just to call that out, to make note of it, to recognize it in someone else. Uh, Proverbs is actually covered up with admonitions about how to rebuke someone. We're just going to look at a couple of them today. Here comes the first one, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. See what Proverbs is saying here? That it's actually better in the long run to rebuke someone than it is to flatter them. You may feel some initial pain. You may actually invite conflict in rebuking someone. That's natural. That happens. But ultimately, you'll find more favor with the person that you rebuked. This makes me think about the fact that I think in modern times, we're actually really bad at giving advice. Often, we all think that we're really good at it, but very often, it it feels like our only job is just to affirm the person in front of us, right? Centered around affirming them and saying, letting them know that they were the good guy and everybody else was the bad guy. Letting them know that they did the right thing regardless of, you know, what you actually think. We just sort of feel like that's the only option that we have. And the truth is that you can find anybody or you can always find somebody to affirm whatever kind of crazy thing that you've done. If you don't believe me, go to Reddit. One of my favorite things on Reddit is uh, this thing, we'll call it Am I the Jerk? I think I might have even talked about it before here because I'm just fixated on it. Uh, but basically, like, uh, these people will go on the internet, they'll type in this whole long thing, like, uh, am I the bad guy here? Like, I don't really like my stepchildren. Am I the bad guy, right? And they'll, like, go through this whole thing, like, you know, uh, once I drown my dog, am I the bad guy, right? Like, just, I mean, truly, I'm making jokes of this. There are some heinous things on there. And the only guarantee of Reddit, am I the jerk, is that somebody is going to get on there and comment, you're not the jerk. Like, it doesn't matter what the thing is, which should really cause us to question. I mean, the internet is just a place where, like, you know, if you have something weird or do something weird, you can find somebody else who says, that's a great thing to do, right? 
And yet, I think what that has done to us, because hopefully you guys are not, you know, covering up the Reddit pages, I don't know. If you tell some weird story about your pastor on a grand opening Sunday, then I'm going to know. So, uh, but like, hopefully you're not like going to the Reddit pages, but this has actually like infected us in just real everyday person to person life. We actually have become a people who are ready and willing and able to go and like affirm each other, even in our worst. Ultimately, what that does is flatter with the tongue, and it doesn't actually build in that favor that a man gets from rebuking another man or a person gets from rebuking another person. Check this one out, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful and better are the words for a friend who loves enough to rebuke. Some of you guys who are, are a little conflict averse, maybe you need to like write that down for yourself. Maybe you need to like look at this verse a little more often. That you would actually be faithful and better as a friend if you were willing to openly rebuke the people around you. Now, verse 5, you could read one of two ways. One is that open rebuke is even better than someone loving you and not letting you know, right? Like maybe that's the hidden love. To be rebuked by someone at least lets you know that they care, but to love and not know doesn't really do anything for you. Maybe that's how you could read it. I think instead, though, the second way you can read it is that open rebuke here is contrasted with hidden love. That you can love someone openly by sometimes rebuking them. But also in a backwards and wrong idea of loving them, you can actually hide your thoughts and feelings from them. Clearly, If we're a people who value honesty and vulnerability in our relationships, we will sometimes rebuke each other, which I'm officially for. This will inevitably lead to conflict. It's going to lead to some weirdness. It's going to make us uncomfortable. But man, I think and I truly believe that sometimes a little bit of conflict is actually kindness. Like sometimes conflict can actually be a beautiful and kind thing to do to someone or to bring about in someone else's life. I know people don't like that. I know that's an unpopular opinion that we should rebuke each other more because culture is constantly putting pressure on us that the only thing that we can do is to to tolerate or just accept or affirm each other. There's all this like pressure that that's what our responsibility is to our friends. But I believe that to be really good friends and if we're to read Proverbs as if it is actually wisdom for our lives, then we might should be rebuking each other more. Here's three reasons and then we'll wrap up. The first reason is that the more that we do it, the better we get at it. So you may feel really like uh, incompetent at rebuking someone. You may feel uncomfortable about it. You might be kind of shaky and mumbly and weird about it. And that's because we are so scared to do it. But the more that you do it, the better you actually get at it. You guys probably all know one of those friends who like, you know, can bring something hard and heavy into your life. And yet you like them more afterwards. They get that from practice, right? They weren't just born like able to rebuke the people around them. They actually became a kind and generous friend to you so that when they come to you with something, you take it very seriously and you treat it as kind and loving. My encouragement is to be that friend and recognize that it takes practice. Second reason why we should rebuke more is that it helps us look more like Jesus. I was thinking about this a lot this week. There's no way 
to look more like Jesus without seeing the ways that we aren't. There's no way to look more like Jesus without seeing the ways that we aren't. This is very simply called conviction. It's when the Holy Spirit actually like enlightens our mind uh, to understand the ways that we don't look like Jesus, the ways that we haven't been kind, the ways that we haven't been loving, the ways that we haven't been self-sacrificing as Jesus is. And there's no way to do it without highlighting the fact that we missed the target. And do you realize there's no way to do that without some sort of pain, without some sort of discomfort? I mean, we, we can all sit here and say, you've probably said it to someone else, like, growth requires discomfort. Any type of, like, you know, thing that is going to make you better is also going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. Same exact thing is true of this. And if the Holy Spirit... Uh, is who we think he is, if he's in control of the world, if he's moving in mysterious ways that we can't understand, then you might be the friend that he is calling on to rebuke someone else so that he might convict them and they might change and grow and look more like Jesus. And if all of that is true, then the exact opposite is also true. That if you want to look more like Jesus, you have to own and even seek out the ways that you currently don't and seek out rebuke from your friends. You need to find someone that you love enough and trust enough and give them that authority and freedom to be able to speak in your life. What a beautiful thing is that. Now, if you're a person that never makes mistakes, that is never short-sighted, that never screws up, that knows all of their weaknesses and faults, then you don't need this person. But I'm not sure that that exists. All of us are desperately in need of someone that can actually speak into our lives that we'll love and trust to help us look more like Jesus. Finally, the reason why we need to rebuke more is that it helps us experience the gospel. To look someone in the eye, to call out what they have done wrong, especially if they have done it to you, and then forgive them for it, is actually a small experience of the gospel. It's like an immersive experience. You're actually living this out. Then the gospel is not something that you read about. It's actually something that now you are feeling and experiencing it because you're getting to experience just a little taste of what Jesus did for us, that he recognized our sin, what we did wrong, the ways that we have gone against God's good plan. He didn't ignore it. He didn't excuse it. He didn't pretend that it wasn't there, but instead he took it on himself and carried it to the cross. And then he beckons us as the lady caught on adultery, to go and sin no more. Do you see how this subtly changes like our, our view of conflict or how it could? Now it's not an opportunity for us to feel uncomfortable. Now it's not just something that we hate and we'll just labor over and stress about. Now it's actually an opportunity to experience the gospel in a new and profound way, to admit fault, to seek forgiveness, to extend that to others. It's an immersive experience into the good news of Jesus. Some of us have been carrying around a lot of wrongdoing and evil that you may have committed. Some of us have carried around that like terrible thing that you're like embarrassed to even like talk about. That thing that you did to that person that you don't even want to admit admit to yourself. Or that thing that was done to you that you feel like you can't talk to about with anybody. Maybe your takeaway today is to go to that person that either caused you harm or that you caused harm and actually offer godly rebuke to them. 
seek forgiveness from them, offer forgiveness to them. And in so doing, you would get to experience just a little bit of what it was like to be Jesus. And in so doing, your heart grows closer to him. You begin to look more like him. The Holy Spirit works in and through you in that. But maybe the person that you've wronged is not another human being. Maybe you actually like feel this disconnect between you and the God of the universe. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, like, hey, there's no way that I can reconcile the thing that I did wrong, and now I'm just going to have to carry it with me for the rest of my life. Well, the beautiful thing is that that is not the truth of the gospel. Now, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that forgiveness is free, it is permanent, goes through your entire being, everything that you are. Forgiveness is here, free and permanent and available to you. See, because God, in his ultimate moment of salvation, sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, carrying each and every one of those things that we've done wrong, even that thing that you might be thinking of and feeling right now, he carries it on his back to the cross and puts it to death forever. He wipes it clean, forgives you completely, wholly, washing you so that that blemish doesn't even exist anymore. And in so doing, and really the ultimate conflict resolution of the entire cosmic story, he reconciles you to himself so that you might enjoy eternal life with him forever. If you are someone who desperately wants and needs this forgiveness, Jesus is offering it to you today. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.